It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. I really just want to say thank you for doing this and putting Mothers Together out there for everyone. It's been such a huge blessing for me um, to just have this community and to know that there are other women out there that are going through this exact same thing that I'm going through. And like the stuff that we talk about is just, I'm like, yes, like, I don't know anyone else I could talk to about poop, but like, I'm going to talk to you guys about poop. It's just, it's really refreshing to be able to say everything and anything and never feel judged by anyone. I just always just feel constantly supported. So like, this is gold to me. And I just want to say thank you for putting this together and for starting something like this. It's just, it's been crazy incredible um, and has seriously been better than like the six months of therapy I did last year. I just want to thank you because I did not really expect to connect so well with the women in my group and so quickly and I just feel like I haven't really had a group of friends in a very long time much less a group of friends that understands a lot of the day-to-day struggles that we have and I know that's the reason you created this um we're created mothers together is because it's hard to find that connection and I thought I'd give it a try and I'm really 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 grateful that I did because we've all really connected really very well and I'm very grateful for it what it means to me um everything um before mothers together I was um alone I felt alone on an island um where I I didn't know who to talk to or where to get answers to questions or even just have a chat a chat with somebody who understood what it was like to have a neurodiverse kiddo um and and what all that means and now i have that i found it it's a community it's mothers together it's me reaching out anytime i have a question a thought um a quote a need um i need to vent um i need help that it's just it wraps up into it means everything to me to have that connection and that support system um, at my fingertips and I'm so glad that I found Mothers Together. These wonderful moms you just heard from are just a few of the members of Mothers Together, my support group style community for moms raising neurodivergent kids. So you all know how passionate I am about Mothers Together. I remember how very lonely and isolating it was to raise my child, not knowing if anyone else out there was going through a similar experience. What I would have done to send a quick text to a friend who could simply say, I totally relate, you're doing the best you can, you're an amazing mother. So when I launched this community in August of 2021, I set out to provide each and every mom with the exact level of lasting friendships, deep connections, and judgment-free support that she needed. 
With over 100 members now, the feelings are mutual. What we've gained can only be measured in true validation and close relationships. So what do you get when you join Mothers Together? There are three pieces to the community. Number one, the forum, off of social media with its own app, lets you search by category. Everything from location to age of child to diagnosis to types of schooling and many more to connect right away with moms who might be going through a similar struggle as you. Number two, your support group called the Pod Squad, that's your home base. Matched personally by me with other moms and mothers together, you have weekly meetings and check on each other on a regular basis, sometimes every day. When I jump on Marco Polo, the video messaging app, I hear messages between moms such as, how was that doctor's appointment? We're thinking of you. Let us know how the play date went. I'm having a really tough morning. School drop-off was a nightmare. I need to vent. Not only do you have your pod squad, but you also have access to the entirety of Mothers Together members, ensuring you can grow your web of support as large as you personally need to. And number three, our monthly guest expert live Q&A, so we can get some professional advice right there on the spot. We've had such amazing guests as Laura Pettix, otherwise known as the OT Butterfly on Instagram, a pediatric neuropsychologist, a therapist, an IEP coach, a life coach, an EFT practitioner, and many more. If you are struggling with the day-to-day grind of motherhood, wondering who in the world understands the challenges of raising a neurodivergent child, Mothers Together is your ticket out of being stuck in your head. Your people are here right now waiting for you. So don't wait. Sign up and join us at ontheharddays.com forward slash Mothers Together. New pod squads start soon. Well, welcome, Kim Jones. I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. And I know you just mentioned how lonely it is at times. Um, And I would say lonely all the time. So for you to come on here and share your story is going to be validating to the moms who are going to hear it. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let's let's dive in. Tell me a little bit about you, your family, your kids, whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. Um, I'll, um, like I said, my name is Kim. Um, um, I live in North Texas, so North DFW, Texas, um, with my husband and our eight-year-old son. I do also have a 20-year-old stepdaughter who I've, uh, or bonus daughter, I've been around since she was three years old. So she is also neurodivergent. So it was kind of an interesting path going through that and um, co-parenting and kind of, it's kind of set the stage of how we parent our son too, so. Do you feel like you had practice then, like practice parenting neurodivergent kids before you had your son? Um, I think a little bit. I think it was um, practice parenting and practicing kind of working through things on a like, oh, this is not a normal situation. Um, And only being in a part time. So only being in it started off as like every other weekend and happened to kind of adjust to the back and forth. And then um kind of going through the path of elementary school and um and diagnosis and other things happening there that were kind of out of our um out of our control with it so kind of having to adjust with not having control of of 
a lot of things was was really tough but it's kind of allowed us it set a really good foundation for when our son was um when we started you know noticing things with our son so i feel like that's i guess looking on the bright side that that's that might have been a really helpful thing a lot of moms that first neurodivergent child throws them for a loop same with me and there's so much time spent in my own head on is this normal is is this my fault am i doing something wrong in my parenting to cause this and i feel like for you because you were able to sort of do all of that for with the first go around um when your son was old enough to start showing signs of neurodivergence you didn't have to go there in your own self-esteem or did or do you think that you still did even though you had practice oh yeah i think that i still did because it was um you know i think it always comes off of like you kind of want in your own head as a parent before you even become a parent you have this whole idea of how your parenting journey is going to be um and then you know even as a parent of a neurotypical child it's never like what you think it's going to be. And so when you start seeing the comparison of a neurodivergent compared to a neurotypical kid and you're like, what's going on? And you're not relating, even if you kind of known, you kind of see signs of that. You want to be like, don't want to go down this, this again, almost it's, um, it's a little bit frustrating. It's a little bit disheartening, but then it's a little bit more. I can, I can see the comparison of 17 years ago to now of what has more normalized, I guess. Not really like, not as a normalized thing, but just so much more education on it. So much more, um, availability to resources in the 17 years. So that's one really good thing about it is kind of like in that huge gap of they're, they're 12 years apart. So in that huge gap of time of, and it gives me so much hope for the future for it too. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was it like 17 years ago? What was it like in society with support and resources. I know it's changed, but like, how different was it? Well, I mean, it comes down to like where it was, if you had a child who was, um, you know, diagnosed with ADHD, it was such a stigma of what that looked like. Like your, it was that, oh, your kid is the one that's bouncing up and down in classroom. And it's that, um, they're not able to focus on anything. It was very black and white. There was no gray in between. Um, so it was like, this is what you have to do for education or um, you kind of just had to deal with it. And with, I think just the evolution of the internet and podcasts and Instagram and Facebook of being able to be like, oh, this is normal. Like I, and as coming off as a step parent too, was that I wasn't involved with a whole lot of the education parts or being even around other parents. So 
it was a very it was very frustrating i guess as that too of only being like being around a child for 48 hours and being thrown into it and kind of having to weave through as well as you know all the other stuff so it was kind of like okay what's what kind of resources do we have and happen to um it it was a lot of talking to the school a lot of talking to teachers a lot of talking to um uh not even like other parents because it was i didn't have those relationships with other other parents that if your kids are in school and activities and and those type of things because we weren't even in the same area so it was when she would come to us on the weekends we were it was just us we just did family time um so it just looked very I think it looks very different from a um, a bonus parent coming in situation too. And as a, not a biological parent as well, was like, what can I do to help the situation without crossing these invisible boundaries? I feel like, that's actually a really great point that's not talked about much. And actually we haven't talked about it much on the podcast ever, which is the role of a step parent in raising a neurodivergent kid, because I, it's hard to be a step parent with a neurotypical kid, just, just boundaries. And it's messy. It's messy. But with a neurodivergent kid, you must have been really struggling because you want to connect with her you want to understand her and you want to help her, but like to an extent, your hands are kind of tied in what you can do. I can't imagine that must've been incredibly frustrating, like more than typical. Yeah, (laughs) it definitely was. Um, But I think that, like I said, I think it kind of helped. It helped me as a parent when um, my son was born kind of to be more aware um, and more hands-on because when you're, a um a bonus parent with not being able to um, my husband was was amazing and kind of let me i have a bit of a personality of just taking control and and um so i was able to do a lot of stuff later on down the road of being a little bit more involved with her education and the communication with her teachers and um but it was still, you know, it was still a frustrating thing that I had to just kind of let go of a bit of that control and um, only do what I could do that I was in control of when she was here. So I was trying to put things in place for her to remember things and is really getting create creative in those type of aspects, especially if you are um, a bonus parent and the co-parenting is is sort of there, but somebody's not thinking that there are things that they can do for their kid or not seeing those type of things. I think as a parent, we all parent so differently that um, sometimes 
and I almost kind of have that personality of, I want to, how can we make this better instead of going against the, the grain of it? You know, I think that's, that's a big change too in the last 17, you know, 17 years of, of having this information, a lot more information is that kind of, I think back then the people, parents were kind of fighting their kids. It was kind of a, it's my way or no way sort of, sort sort of, of way, at least in, you know, around my, you know, uh, like family parenting in the past was not, oh, what can we do to support this child? It was, it wasn't like that. <laughs> so, um, kind of changing those type of perspectives as well, I think has definitely helped of like, Hey, not every kid is the same. And I think even 17 years ago, it was a lot of like, either you're the same or you are completely different. different. Mm -hmm. So it was that definitely black and white yeah. thinking. And so the gray has definitely came in a lot more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking to raise a neurodivergent child, you need to be a team. And when you are working with, when you are a step parent, you have to be a team. All parents need to be on the same page. And that's, you know, an extra dose of complicated, which I can only imagine. Um, but what I'm wondering about is, so now, you know, that, that black and white thinking, you're either the same or you're different. Now, 17 years later, or 12 years later, in this case, you have your son. You, you mentioned that you kind of, you said, take control. I, I know what you mean. And I'm the same way, but you know, we, we, we know how we want things to run and look. And so we're structured, we're organized. How did your mindset have to switch then to now have a neurodivergent child of your own in a more accepting society, which is great, but there's no more black and white thinking and there's no more, like you can't be in control as much as you may have wanted to be? Um, I think it really came down to really early on. So um, when my son was uh, born, it was, you know, you have that, it comes back to those like perspectives and those, you know, those visions of how you're going to be a parent that, you know, you, you have a baby and this baby's going to sleep, you know, 10, 12 hours a day um, and going to be, you know, eat fine and, and be joyful and everything else. I'm going to turn off my, my vacuum is about to run. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, oh, I gotta love it. Um, and it was not that way. It was right from when he had come home. It was, um, he would only sleep for like a short amount of time so it was like okay kind of what is going on with this baby is something wrong it's always you know and it comes down to like you know is it something that i did or something that that is um i, I think it almost it kind of almost starts as like the worst like you, you fear the worst of of everything. And I think that's the bad thing about having so much connection to information is that you could kind of go down a rabbit hole of, 
well, why isn't my child sleeping for more than 45 minutes? So it was a lot of research on that. Um, and then when he started, um, I guess it was probably, we started noticing something about like nine months old with him really early on that he would hyper-focus on things. He wasn't like a joyful, happy kid. It was very, um, it was very serious. He was a very serious kid. So we would get a lot of comments of, oh, he doesn't smile. Like, oh, he does smile. He just is observing everything. Um, And then it was the sleep. That was probably our biggest indicator very early on was that he was, he and routine so if we miss that sleep window it was a nightmare and it was interesting the more kind of research i started doing of like sleep cycles and um and missing that window that when if kids miss that window there's kids that will crash out like he would just never fall asleep anywhere even early on it was he would either sleep in his bed or he would sleep um in the car or occasionally, like when he was a much littler, he was sleep like on me, but I couldn't move him. It was, he was right there. Um, and I remember like vividly when I was like, this is, this can't be how it is. Like of me having to, if we miss that window, that he was just a hot mess. He was um you know trying to climb out of his crib at one years old like it was he was jumping around and he was like and i knew he hadn't slept in so long and it was like what is like am i am i going am am i losing my mind that this is how it it is um and so really it was on my part of just finding books and reading and um and trying to understand how kids work at that sort of age and then um it was okay like really like the routines thing i think people thought i was crazy of that oh we cannot we have to be home at this time and we cannot go out in the evening because our child is not going to fall asleep in his stroller or is not going to fall asleep just hanging out we will be up until he will he will stay awake until we get in the car and i remember i think he was probably two and a half almost three and we were at a family reunion and he had not napped there was just so much going on and i tried to you know take him kind of away from the situation and lay with him and and not happening and it was probably you know like 10 o'clock we're you know getting ready to leave and finally go back and before we're even like i probably before we were even reverse in the car he was asleep and it was like what the heck (laughs) like this is not a normal situation um and i think from then of like having to really listen and watch cues um 
made our lives a whole lot easier. Um, and so instead of like fighting things and being like, I want it this way, it was really like listening and watching your child. And, um, and I think it wasn't for kind of reading books about like those type of cues of, of understanding children before they are able to talk, you know, the communication, we were always talking to, to him like an adult and not just guessing what he wanted and really trying to, to do those type of things. And, um, then it was really different, like two, like you have the, the tantrums and twos and stuff like that. And we never dealt with the full on, like throwing himself on the floor and having a tantrum. It was very, a very communicative relationship very early on and going like, Oh, this is kind of a different thing too, of he has to have sleep and food and, and limiting high stimuli situations to be a happier kid. So really paying attention was, was the thing. It was trying to, to not focus on what I was doing and what our daily lives were. It was, okay, let's, you're having a meltdown right now. What has happened before? Like, what were we doing? Where were we at? Did you get enough sleep? Um, and not getting frustrated with those type of things. So it was <laughs> a very interesting, I think, I think going through, um, the stuff with my, my stepdaughter before of kind of like, she had to have things a certain way. If not, things were completely off. It was a, a horrible day. So it's, um, that was kind of the beginning of our journey of, okay, something is a little different um, and our son. And I think just also being around him a lot more compared to, um, my bonus daughter of being there also, cause I kind of came into her life about at when she was three. So those that zero to three time was, um, was really eye opening and really tough because I felt like it was never, um, we didn't have a kid that could just sit and chill and was, he was just, he was go, go, go. And he was, um, he was, he was go, go, go in a, in a capacity, but at a very early age, I'd be like, okay, where is, where is he at? And he'd be in his room thumbing through a book for 30 minutes, just sitting there. There's so much in there that resonates with me. One of the things that I, you said it very well. I wish that I had done this for my son, which is, it seems like you sort of tuned out the black and whiteness and you were like, what, why is he melting down? What is the root cause? What, ignoring what should or should not be. I got caught up on, yes, he's melting down, but he should be able to do X, Y, Z. He should be able to manage his emotions. And that really stuck me for years because I was so, I wanted to understand and help. But at the same time, I was angry that he was not quote unquote normal, whatever that is, neurotypical. Yeah. And I like the way that you said that you 
I mean, I'm sure you had those moments too, but you still were like, he needs low stimuli. My son is the same way. Um, it's taken me way too many years to recognize that. Instead of continuing to put him in in high stimulation situations so that he can get used to it, you were like, no, this is what he needs. And that's awesome. That is what I wish I had done more of when my son was younger. Um, but you must have felt frustrated too, I, I imagine. No, even with this kind of good head on your shoulders, like this is what he needs. I'm, I imagine that you had moments of like the isolating feeling of it. Like, here we go again. I have a neurodivergent kid. Um, things have to be done differently. It's not going to be typical. Um, how how did that weigh on you? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely several times. So um, in the DFW area, it's pretty pretty wide. So there would be times where like, yeah, we miss that sleep window when he's asleep in the car. Um, if I tried to move him, it was not going to work. So there was several times of like driving up to Oklahoma just so that he can sleep because he had a rough night the night before and he's not going to take a nap. And um, that kind of like, I think it was a lot of, yeah, we went through the, oh, he'll be fine and we'll move him. And then it wasn't fine. And it was like, it's like that, okay, you try something one time, okay, it doesn't work. You try it again, you're like, okay, that really didn't work. Like third time, you know, it's like, you have to start like being like, okay, this is not working. Um, And I think even as adults, we have a tendency of trying things over and over again. And I mean, they talk about like, that's the definition of insanity is trying things over and over again and expecting a different result and or doing the same thing over and over again and expect, expecting a different result. So it was, um, it was frustrating, I think, because it, and it was very, very lonesome. So at the very beginning of, um, I'll backtrack a little bit of when my son was born, I didn't have a whole lot of friends that had kids my age, or his age. They were either older or they didn't have kids. And I didn't have a ton of friends. I don't live where we have a ton of family. Um, and so it was, I think that was probably a really hard part was kind of going through it very much alone. Um, and then I only had him, so I couldn't like imagine if it was, I had other kids and then having to, to deal with it. So it was, there was many days that I remember just being exhausted and questioning like, am I meant to be a mom? Like it comes hard. Um, There isn't a manual of, this is what you need to do if, you know, like, it's kind of like a, a, you know, choose your, your path. This is what's happening. You know, if it, this happens, turn to page so-and-so, if this happens, turn to this page. Okay. Now you have this. Um, so it was, it was really, really hard, um, for a little bit of, and I mean, even it's still hard, but it's now I think it's a lot, it's a lot more 
different. So after he was, before, um, I want to say, so um, a son is Ward. And when he was, I started noticing things that like very early on, like we tried to really, the, the TV was a huge thing, electronics. Um, I would notice that if he had too much TV, he would have like those tantrums. And it was easy to just kind of, you know, put him to entertain himself of like, Hey, I got to get this done. Um, but then it was at that spiral of like, okay, what just happened? Why did it happen? And it was a lot of, um, I'm trying to remember the book. It was a book by Janet Lansbury. Um, that was no bad kids. And I think that book was the first book that really changed my perspective on how he was. Cause I remember when he was little and we would have like, if we miss that window and trying to get him to bed, he would like, he would just lash out. He would hit me. He would, he was probably about, you know, a year and a half, two years old, full on like physically be fighting me to go to bed. And I had to really stop and think and be like, okay, this little human has been on earth for a year and a half. You know, what is going on? Like how he's not learning it from us because we would, that was not happening in our, our house. So it was like, where is this coming from? And really having to examine like, what, how is his brain working? And um, why is it just coming out in ways that are inexplainable? Um, and really having to go back and go, okay, we talked about like, what do we miss asleep? Like, yes. Okay, so now tomorrow we need to, it was a lot of keeping journals. Today he went, you know, he woke up at this time. I probably have stuff in notebooks laying around the house of like, he woke up at this time, he took a nap at this time, he slept this long, um, he ate this. It was like, is it food allergies? Is it, um, is there autism? Is there, you know, there was like a whole bunch of stuff that would come, come into play that you would think of. And it was a lot of, of that. And yes, there was, there was days of hiccuping. I mean, like, oh man, I want to go and go shopping or we're out traveling or we're, you know, uh, he's getting babysat by somebody that didn't put him to bed on, at a certain time. And the next three days would be rough. That was, I think that was the interesting part is that we would miss one day if we like didn't take a nap or, or we stayed up, we were at dinner with friends and he stayed up too late. Then for the next three days, it was trying to get him back on this like sleep schedule of staying asleep until 7am and taking a nap and then going to sleep. And it was like, I think that people probably thought that I was very like 
very crazy of being like, I, he needs to, to be asleep by this time, or I need to be home at this time. I cannot go out. Like if you have an event, sorry, I cannot because my child needs to go to sleep. Oh, well, why can't you get the babysitter? Well, because I just know that it's not going to, they're going to, my, he's going to have trouble going to sleep. And it, it was a lot. <laughs> now I'm like looking back, like it was, there was, there was times when it was, it was very overwhelming and very just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exhausting to have to explain it all out. That drives me crazy too. So you're, st- you know, it's the, the, that conversation, can you attend my party? No, I'm sorry. My kid needs to be sleeping by whatever time. Well, why can't you get a babysitter? Because he, he's going to have a hard time falling asleep. Well, he needs to just learn to adjust. I'm sure that was the next That was, oh, he yes. Needs- <laughs> well, he needs to learn or he will adjust or yep. he will. Um, I got a lot of times of like, oh, you know, they'll fall asleep forever when if they're tired. Yep. And I was like, yep. ah. Yep. He will not. <laughs> right. And then and then it just goes further and further. How deep do you want to have this argument with every single person? They need to learn. Well, do they need to learn or will they just learn in time? Or maybe my kid is just different. Well, no, it's just your parenting. You're not being tough enough. You're not being, oh, it just goes on and on. I feel that one. And it's exhausting. Not only is it exhausting, but for me, it, it ate away at me. Like, after enough of these comments in, in all the places, both in like real life and on social media, where I felt like, okay, everyone is telling me I need to do X, Y, Z. So the way I am currently doing it must be wrong. Why don't I know how to do it? Why am I not a natural mom like I thought I would be? I, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I totally would spiral often yeah. because it's so annoying to have people tell you what is best for your own child. Oh my gosh, that like... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, um, I travel a lot. So my, my family and stuff live in Nevada and we would, um, we would, me and him would travel to go see, see my parents. And it was that a lot of like, Oh, why can't you just, you know, can't you just leave them with grandparents? So yeah, I can. Eventually he'll fall asleep because he'll be, unbelievably exhausted but then he won't sleep good and wake up three times in the middle of the night um or he is going to have a full-on meltdown because of it was always it was for us it really started off as like sleep sleep was a big a big thing um and i was after going through with my bonus child of like her um electronics and how it affected her brain i did a lot of research very early on on that with neurodivergent kids and so like if we went to shopping i had to put a lot more effort into um keeping him entertained without those type of things so it was half i was getting very creative very early on and i share that a lot with with like just the like community that I was in with Facebook and Instagram and people are like, Oh, you're such a great parent. I was like, I have to, there's ways I have to keep my kid entertained at the grocery store. It's extremely hard to keep your kid like in a seat 
and just sitting there, you know, and <laughs> then you start like thinking of like, if and I, a huge thing that changed for me was as an adult, would I want to just sit there and do nothing? No, I wouldn't. If you look around at any situation, if you go to the DMV, do you how many people do you see just sitting there staring at the wall? You're not going to see hardly anybody now with phones. Like you are going to see people on phones. You're going to see people with books. You're going to see like people are going to be wanting to do something. As a with a child, they cannot communicate. They don't understand those feelings of not wanting to do something. So it comes out as other things. It comes out as tantrums. It comes out as um, you know, just not listening or being defiant. So it was like patience was a big thing was, and that was a huge change for me as a parent was knowing I, if I was going to go to the store, it wasn't going to be a quick in and out of the store. It was going to be a much longer time and having to adjust my perspective on things was a huge step into kind of understanding the neurodivergent world was I had to change my perspective on what I thought was normal, how things should be, the society things, and really not caring about what anybody else thinks of my parenting. Um, because when I started doing those things, I started noticing that people would be like, oh, that's such a great idea. Oh, you know, like my two-year-old, yes, is carrying a big shopping basket in the store, but I'm able to get things done and I'm telling them and we're talking about things. And I noticed that the more information that he was getting, the better he was off. So he would ask about everything and I would never talk to him like he was a baby. If he asked me questions, I would try to answer him as good as possible. Um, Cause I was like, if I had a friend who was asking me the same question, I wouldn't act like I wouldn't just blow them off or ignore them. And I, I think that really set a base of understanding your child or understanding my, me understanding him a little bit more was that our communication was very um, cohesive with each other as much as possible with a child and a parent. Um, but I think it, it came back to two is that like uh, Ward, he is, we've had him tested and he's highly gifted. So we're sitting on the, the, the two E perspective, and that is a whole other ball game for us. Um, but when I even talk to other kids, um, so I, I've always been highly involved with other, like with kids, I worked, I was a babysitter like from when I was like 12. Um, and I worked in, in daycares and I worked in preschools and 
I have a very interest for how kids' brains work. I think it's very interesting and I like the development of it. Um, but I've never talked to kids like I was superior to them. Um, for the most part. <laughs> because, you know, like, I don't want my child to get hurt, but I'm not going to tell my kid that they can't do something because they might get hurt. I'm going to tell him that he could get hurt and I'm going to tell him why he could get hurt and explain it to him and then have him make that decision. Um, same with a lot of other things that we've kind of had to come across with struggles. So I don't, If my child wants, you know, something at a grocery store or something like that, I'm not going to say, just tell him no. I'm going to explain to him why I am not going to purchase that item and give him reasons why or give him reasons of what he choices. It was always choices. That was the big thing for us was, do you want water? Do you want milk? It wasn't like here, this, here's your water. Like it, as a, as human beings, we want to be able to be in control. And I don't think people understand that kids want that control too. And so it's a power struggle. If you're going back and forth with things, even with neurodivergent, I think that it's can be a little bit more difficult, but when you take out that black and white thinking and you have a whole lot of gray in the middle and you figure out ways to work with your kid instead of against your kids, um it helps a little bit thanks for listening today if you would like to talk with me personally where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends i would love to do a discovery call with you go to my website on theharddays.com and click on schedule a call and if you're not already subscribed to this podcast please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out not to mention please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at on the hard days with dots in between each word or in my free Facebook community, On the Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.